Good morning, everybody. Isn't it fun to be in a gym? On my, on my way to church this morning, my son asked me if we could bring a basketball. There's been a few people who have asked me that as well. So, hey, welcome this morning. This is a fun celebration for our church family. Not only do we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, which is why we're here, but we get to all be in one place at one time like a huge family reunion. Isn't this great? It's awesome to be together. So this morning, what we'd like to do, and in fact, uh, you probably have a bulletin, you can take some notes if you like, but there'll be some passages of scripture that we're going to walk through together, and those will show up on the screens for you, make it a little bit easier, because I'm going to touch on a couple different passages of scripture that talk about this beautiful journey and story, the narrative of what we're celebrating today, which is Jesus' death and his resurrection, and we celebrate that today. And so as, as a church family this week, we walked through some themes that Danny mentioned a little bit earlier, which was... Friday representing the death of Jesus, yesterday, Saturday being a, a day of silence, and then today being a day of life where Jesus is risen from the dead and he's alive. And the reason we've chosen those themes is because many times we have this focus of Easter, 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 celebration, life, happy thoughts, right? And we forget there is no Easter, there is no resurrection unless there's death and silence first. And I wanted to take some time to talk about that this morning because... In life, not just in the narrative of Scripture and not just in the themes that we've chosen for this weekend, but embedded in the very nature that God created is the theme and the journey to life which starts with death and moves to silence and then results in life. In fact, it's even embedded in our seasons, in our seasons of life. We have a season called autumn or the fall. And fall represents, even though fall can be beautiful, we lived in Oregon for seven years, and when the leaves would start to die is when they would become the most beautiful. But winter, or excuse me, fall is when that, that, that death begins to occur in the things that we see alive the rest of the year. And we see things fall off of trees, and we see plants start to kind of wither back, and then we move into this season called winter. And winter is that dormant, silent time where there may be life within kind of the trees and the leaves and the plants, but you don't see it because it's dormant, because it's silent. And then we all love spring, especially if you have allergies, right? Because spring means life, and spring means pollen, and spring means everything kind of coming back from the dead and being, in a sense, resurrected. And so to understand that, God intentionally embedded in the rhythms of humanity this theme of death, silence, and life. And so this morning, for just a few moments, I want to talk about how this is the journey of, of us in humanity. This is the journey of Jesus' earliest followers and how they witnessed firsthand what Jesus experienced when he died and when he rose from the dead. And so for the next few moments, what I'd like you to do is we're going to take a journey through, through the eyes of one of Jesus' earliest followers. Her name was Mary Magdalene. She was an eyewitness to everything that we celebrate today. She had a front row seat to everything that Jesus experienced. In fact, she experienced a profound transformation in her when she met Jesus. She was filled, filled with demonic oppression and control in her life. And when she met Jesus, Jesus set her free and changed her life forever. And immediately she became a follower of Jesus because everything changed for her. And so understanding that, we're going to walk through the, the themes, death, silence, life. And I think you and I will see from Mary's journey that we can see ourselves in her journey and how God does the same thing in our lives today. So the first thing that we want to focus on is the theme of death. Nobody wants to start with death. We all want to skip to Sunday. We want life. But it starts with death. Death is that shadow that reminds us that things are not the way they should be. 
And death is the thing that comes in, in a sudden moment where everything that we thought life was supposed to be about now comes to an end. So it says this in John chapter 19, verse 25. Now Jesus obviously had been beaten, he'd been put on trial, he'd been led to the cross, and now he's hanging there on the cross, and it says in verse 25 of John 19, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, uh, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So I know we can't go back there, and I know probably most of you have seen some kind of uh, depiction, either dramatically or in film, like the Passion of the Christ, but just imagine for a moment that you've encountered a person in such a way that they have changed everything about your life. There's not one ounce of who you are that is the same than before you met that person. And that person represented the hope that you had for the future, the change that you would experience in your life. And in a moment, that person is put up on a cross and crucified, not just dying, but going through horrific suffering. And it says that Mary's standing there, she's looking at Jesus, Jesus representing all that she has. And in a moment, all of what she thought her life could be and was becoming is now gone in her mind. And if you and I were honest with ourselves, we've all, it could be the, the literal death of a loved one, or it could be something in our life that we anticipated would be what our life's journey was supposed to be about, the li things that would breathe life into us, and in a moment those things come to an end and we're left in a sense stunned. See, and I think the reason that we respond that way is because whether you want to admit it or not, each one of us has a script that we've written for our lives. We write our own script. In fact, it's something that guides the journey of our life in terms of the stages and the seasons and the accomplishments. We kind of fill in the blanks and we write it out and it, it all has to do with being happy and joyful and full of life and experiencing everything that we want to experience. Embracing the career or the spouse or whatever it is. We have it laid out, whether we know it or not, but when death enters the equation, our script gets messed up because we don't have any part of our script that includes death because it's all about life, but death enters into the equation. And sometimes we don't realize we're trying to live out a script that God has already said, that script has to die in order for you to experience life. The first encounter I had with death, like actual literal death, when I, when I, was, when I was 10 years old, my grandfather, who uh, had been very close to me, uh, we had planned a family vacation. All of us extended family were going to go to Pismo Beach. It was kind of the first time that my mom's side of the family where we were all going to kind of be together. So we were all anticipating this. And I remember I was counting the days until we could go. And then when, when we were about three or four days before, before we were about to leave as a family, I remember I was, I was packing three days before. I was so excited. And then we got a call from my grandma, and she had said that grandpa was now in the hospital because he had a heart attack. And I remember at first, you know, when you're 10 years old, you think heart attack, what does that even mean? And you're trying to process through that. And so I remember thinking, well, that's great, but he'll get out of the hospital in three days because we're going to Pismo Beach. As a 10-year-old, that's the script I've written out for my life. And so I was thinking about that and exciting. So, in fact, my sister and I, I remember we sat down and we made some big posters for my grandfather about getting well and we'll see you in Pismo Beach and all these kind of things. And we send them with my mom to the hospital and so a few days later, I remember it was late one night, and my mom and dad were at the hospital, and they weren't present, and so we went to bed that night, and we got up the next morning, and my mom and dad called all four of us kids in the living room. They sat us down, and they said, listen, we want to tell you some very sad news. I want to tell you that last night at 10 o'clock, Grandpa passed away. And I remember when they said that, I thought, you're lying. That can't be true. That's not real. Grandpa's not supposed to die. Grandpa's supposed to go to Pismo Beach. Grandpa's supposed to teach me how to play golf. 
Grandpa's supposed to see my spouse someday and see my kids and have grandkids. Grandpa's supposed to always be with me. He's not supposed to die. And I remember the first emotion was being stunned, and then it was this anger like, no, 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 this can't be. You're an almost anger at my parents for even saying such a thing. But then as the day went on and then we went into the next day, it started to settle in. All that I had thought about what my life would look like with Grandpa by my side was no longer going to be true. And I went through, at 10 years old, I went through a, a grieving process where I went through a lot of anger because it didn't seem right, it didn't seem fair, because it didn't fit my script. My script included Grandpa the rest of my life. Now, some of us in this room have experienced this recently. You've, you've lost a loved one, or you have come to a place in your life where you thought the script that you had been living out was the script that you had for your life, and then suddenly it comes to an end. And you're upset, and you're down, and you're sad, and even angry. Because death is not supposed to be a part of our script. But in order for life to come, death has to come first. It did for Jesus' early followers, it does for us today. See, because one of the things that Jesus came to do is not only die for our sin and rise from the dead so that we have, we have freedom over sin and we have life forever, but he came to rewrite the script that humanity had written for itself. Because he has a better script. There's a second thing as we walk through the journey of towards life is that we go through death, but then death is followed by this very awkward and difficult time of silence. So going on in, in Mary's story, in Matthew chapter 27, verses 57 to 61, it says this, As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in its own tomb, a new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Now again, I want you just for a moment, take, take ourselves to this moment. She's coming to, the, to grips with the fact that Jesus is dead. She's seen him die on the cross. She's watched his body be removed. She sees his lifeless body, and now his body goes into a tomb, and it says that they're sitting there opposite the tomb. In a sense, paraphrase, they have a front row seat to Jesus' burial. They're watching this unfold in front of them. Can you imagine what the emotions must have been like for Mary sitting there watching? The hope that she had for her life is now sealed behind a stone. There's just this silence that comes over, this stunned, and this idea, what in the world just happened? How could everything turn so quickly? It was so good, and now it's all gone. And there's this overwhelming silence that just seems to envelop that moment, and for many of us, envelop our lives as though, God, where did you go? I thought it was all working out okay. I thought this is the way it was supposed to be. And then this comes along. I don't have a category for this. But the challenge that all of us face, and this is one that's hard, the question is, in the midst of the silence and the shock that comes after death, are we listening in the silence? I'm going to ask my wife, Kim, if she would come and join me. Everybody say good morning to Kim. And you will truly see and hear in just a moment, this truly is the better half of us. So, but I ask him to come and just briefly share. When, when, when you're married, one of the things that you get, kind of the privileges of being married, is that you get a front row seat to each, other, each other's journey to life. You get the front row seat of their walk with Jesus. And so you get to see things that other people don't know about, but understanding that it's part of what God's working out in both of you. And so Kim walked through a season in her life where she had to come to grips with 
that death in silence, but I had asked her to share just briefly how God worked in the midst of that. So, honey, go ahead, take it away. Good morning. I'm not used to seeing you from this side. Um, I like the back better. But um, when John asked me to share, besides being completely terrified, um, I really knew that God spoke to me and said that we don't go through our silence or our death or our struggles to hide them. We, we need to share them and to hopefully bring hope to maybe some of you who are walking through times that I've, I've gone through as well. It was about a year before we transitioned up to Oregon, and um, my life was awesome. I had an amazing job. I was organizing a company and uh, managing an office, living in my hometown with my entire family around me. Life couldn't get any better. I was bolting out of bed in the morning because I just couldn't wait to see what it held. And, um, and so then that was for about a year, and then we transitioned up to Oregon, and honestly, I thought, it'll be more of the same, like, let's go, let, you know, I've, I've got what the formula is, so I'll just put it in a different context, let's go, this is exciting, only to get up there, and it was just like this screeching halt, and crickets, and I tried to find a job, I tried to work the formula that had brought me so much joy down here, nothing, and I even felt isolated and alone, and completely silent. Even though I was married in a family, I was completely by myself. And the worst part is God went silent on me. And that was devastating to my soul. It was a dark, dark season for me. As I walked through, the only thing that broke that silence was a question. If I do not extend any more grace or provision in your life, will you still honor me with it? And that was a deep question, not one I could do the Christian thing and say, yes, absolutely. It was a deep question that I wanted to be real with the Lord, that at the point that I was finally able to say, yes, if I die in this place, both physically, mentally, whatever, I will still honor you with my, my life and let that be. You, you make my life what you want it to look like. You designed me, so I think you might know a little bit better. And um, it was soon after that that we um, got the call to begin transitioning back down here. And I was like, yes, I know how to do life down there. I know how to have life. Um, yet knowing that God had done something deep within me that I really didn't have the, the details of what and the spans of what he had done until we got down here, and John and I were talking, like, should I do the job thing and, like, you know, do what I did before? And we both just felt like, just wait, you know, pray. Let God open the doors and walk through them. And God opened the most random door for us uh, in fostering and um, invited little precious angels into our home and thought that, that that's great. It brought us life. It was amazing for our family um, just feeling used by the Lord. But little did we know that there were families attached to those little ones and um, opened up ministry with those families and mentorship. Um, and even in the county, I've been asked to be a part of uh, teams to really uh, mold and shape how we foster and how we uh, reconnect families and reunify them uh, in our county. It's unbelievable. I mean, I thought I was alive 
back in Ventura, it compares at all to where I'm at right now. He just keeps surprising me, and God is amazing. So if you find yourself in the silence or in that death, there's hope. Life is right around the corner. Just hold on. Remain faithful. Honor him with your life, and you'll be alive. Amen. I told you so. See, one of the things that happens in silence, and Kim and I, she gave you a uh, two-minute version of what took probably three or four years in the journey and the conversations we had. One of the things that we have a tendency to do in the silence is we try to keep rewriting our script. We keep trying to fill in the blanks. And in the midst of the silence, what God is saying is, no, I already have a script written for your life that is far better than you can ever imagine. But what you're in the process of doing is you're in the process of actually discovering it. And that's when the silence comes. That's why we want to run from silence. We can't even drive in our car without turning the radio on. Isn't it true? We need to have something, but it's in the silence that maybe for the first time we actually can see and hear God speaking something new to us about our lives and about our future. So the good thing is the story doesn't end with silence. The story actually continues on with life. That's why we're here. That's why we celebrate so for Mary, it's the same thing. And life is this amazing thing that, that happens. And it's like, I can't, I can't believe this. Everything is changing. But it's not like, oh, everything's going back to the way it used to be. It's that everything is brand new. So looking at John chapter 20, verses 16 through 18. So we know that Jesus put in the grave. Mary had the front row seat to that. And now she's going back to the tomb on Sunday morning to not investigate necessarily that Jesus is alive, but because a part of tradition, she was going to go to the tomb. And it could have been more of kind of a pilgrimage, or it could have been to add more spices or whatever it might have been to kind of, kind of almost the embalming process. So she goes back to the tomb to discover that the stone is rolled away and the tomb is empty. And this is what happens. She's looking at the empty tomb, and it says in verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned around and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Now just think about this for a moment. She's at the tomb. In fact, we, I cut in a little bit after that. But she even has a conversation with Jesus before he says her name, and she doesn't know who he is. She thinks he's the gardener. Showed up to kind of, you know, make things look nice. And then he says, Mary. And as soon as he says her name, she knows who he is. And I love this, this encounter because what happens is Mary can't contain herself. It's Jesus who she just watched die, who was the one that was saving her, who the one that had offered hope for her life and set her free from the oppression she lived under for so long. And he says, Mary, and she turns around and spontaneously she can't help but grab him. It's this beautiful thing, and Jesus, Jesus obviously is not saying, Mary, you know, give me some space. He wasn't being rude to her. But it was like, Mary, there's going to be time for that, but there's also a process of what I'm going through in terms of my resurrection. But she turns around and she grabs for him. Why? Because she can't contain herself. And I think for sometimes in her life, when we actually embrace the resurrection, when we actually know Jesus, there has to be something inside of us, if we really know life, that we can't contain ourselves. That's why earlier when we were worshiping, if we get a little excited, it's okay. 
We have the greatest reality of all of humanity in Jesus being alive. If we get a little excited, we should be a little excited. Otherwise, we really don't believe it. We should be like Mary. It turns out, I can't contain myself. Why? Because he's alive. And if he's alive, that means everything is new now. Everything that I, in the last few days that I thought I lost is now gained in even more. And because of that, Mary understands. And then she goes and she tells, and if you read through the story, she tells the other disciples, and they're like, uh, I don't know if we really believe you. And then you get in this, this, this race between John and Peter. You know, and it's funny when you read through John, because John writes John, and he basically says, I'm faster than Peter, and he runs, and he gets there first, and then Peter gets there second. It's kind of funny. I think God, by his inspiration, allows a little bit of competitiveness in the resurrection. But there's that same reaction. That same reaction for both John and Peter is, are you serious? He's alive? i got to see this for myself. And so they run. See, what's happening now is that now, and if we continue to read through the narrative and we get through the Gospels and then we get into the book of Acts, what you start to see is now Jesus has introduced to his disciples a brand new narrative that they've yet to live out. See, because in their narrative, Jesus came to overthrow the Romans so that he could reestablish the kingdom of Israel on earth. That's not why he came. He came to establish the kingdom of God for all of humanity. That's why he came, much bigger. So now they have this bigger more incredible script now that Jesus is laying out for them, and because of that, everything changes. And this is, this is what I want us to, to grasp this morning, is that I want all of us to be honest with ourselves. We all have our own script. It doesn't matter if you don't know who Jesus is, or you've known Jesus for 50 years of your life. We all have our own script. And part of the journey to life, part of the journey in, in knowing and following Jesus is he will always, always challenge your script. All the time. He will, in a good way, mess up your life. Because he loves you too much to allow you to live out the script that you've designed for your life. Because your script always ends in death. It can never lead in li- live, finish in life. It always ends in death. Now, there's, there's something that sometimes people perceive about following Jesus or knowing God. And that is, when I come to God, everything that I really wanted my life to be about, I can't do anymore. And God's just a killjoy because he makes me do the opposite of what I really want to do. Anybody ever thought that or felt that? And usually when someone shares a testimony, it's like, yeah, I was going to do this, but God said I can't do that. So I got to do the boring thing instead of the fun thing, right? No, what, you know what's going on in the tension there? You know what's really happening? Is God saying, you've been convinced that your scripts will pr- script will produce life but you haven't lived my script yet. You haven't embraced it yet. And on the outside, it may appear that you can write a better script, but you haven't lived my script yet. Because mine always ends in life, but if you keep living yours out, you'll have a good time, but eventually it will lead to death, and there will be no hope beyond that. I know I experienced that in my life. I had a script. We all do. And I think the first time I came to grips with the script that I had laid out in my life, other than when my grandfather passed away when I was 10, was when I was coming out of high school, I, I went to a school where the drive was go to college, get a degree, get your master's degree, go be successful, and successful equated money. And so that was the drive from the high school I came out of. And so everybody was like, what school are you going to? And so in my mind, one of the things I had to come to grips with is that I grew up in a family where my dad was a, a Bible college professor, a missionary, and a pastor. And so in my mind, and I had three older sisters, and they all started to follow a similar script for their lives. And I thought, I'm the youngest, I'm the boy, I'm not following the plan. And when I was graduating from high school, I said this to God, I am not going into ministry. (laughs) I did. And I followed it up with, because I'm going to make money. 
That's what I said. And so I applied to different schools, got into three or four different schools, and that was my plan. That's what I was going to do. And, and so as I started to move that direction, I was involved with a local church I was really connected with. And so to save money, I thought, okay, I'm going to go to a junior college first for a little while, and then I'm going to kind of figure out where I go from there. And so I went to a junior college, and during that year, I also said, because this was the family tradition, I will not go to Life Pacific College. I said that. I will not do that. Well, during that year of junior college, and I'm serving in ministry that I'm not supposed to be doing, it's just a season or a fad in my life, and then I'm going to move on to college, and I'm going to make money. Then God starts to speak to me in the midst of what I'm doing. And I still remember sitting down next to LAX, so I used to go and watch airplanes. In my moments of silence, God speaks to me, and I said, God, what do you want me to do in my life? I'm asking you honestly. And he said, what have you always said about your life? I said, I just want to help people. And he said, what's the greatest help that you can give to people? I said, it's you. He goes, bingo. That's kind of a paraphrase of my conversation with God. I don't know if Jesus says bingo, but that's what came through. And I remember sitting there and I thought, okay, well, I need to take the next step and I need to go to Life Pacific College. But then I said this to God. I made a deal with him. I'm going to give you one year and then I'm still going to go on and make money. You know, just kind of hedging your bets with God, like, okay, I'm going to do this, but this is the way it's going to work, so I get to win either way. And then I said, as I went to Life Pacific College, I will never marry somebody from Life Pacific College. <laughs> I did. And the funny thing is, Kim said the exact same thing. Until second semester of our freshman year, we happened to have a class together, and I went, oh, I don't remember seeing her the first semester. Where was she hiding? And I remember she sat next to me, and long story short, we fell in love, and we got married, and, and then there was one last thing, and I'm slowly learning that when I say no to God, that usually means I'm trying to write my own script. When we gradu I graduated from life, Kim graduated, we got out into ministry, I said this to multiple people, I will never, never be a senior pastor of a church. <laughs> never. I don't know. And then my prayer every morning has been, I will never, ever be a millionaire. <laughs> it hasn't worked so far. I wanted to share that because some of you are thinking, I'll pray that prayer. That one works for me, right? <laughs> Sorry, it doesn't work that way. But, but here's the reality for my journey is every once one of those points wasn't God being a killjoy and saying, I'm going to force you to do what you really want to do with your life. I'm going to make it so that you can't do what you really want to do. No, what he was saying is every one of those points, he's saying, John, you're trying to write your own script. And if I would have followed my script, I would not enjoy the life that I'm living. I would not see the fulfillment in my marriage, in my kids, in the church that I get the privilege of pastoring. I would be, maybe I'd be making money, but I'd be miserable making money. Because God, not, by the way, making money is not a bad thing, okay? But if that's not what God called me to go into business, he called me to go into ministry, he called me to be a senior pastor, and that's what I am. And because of that, every single day of my life, I am reminded, God, where am I, where is my script interfering with yours? See, because his early followers, they had to ask that question. And today we ask that question. So what I'm going to ask you to do is just a moment, I'm going to ask you to think about your script, what you've been writing for your life. Like I said earlier, you may know Jesus, you may not even know Jesus, but we're all trying to write our own script. Because one of the things that Jesus is saying to us today by his resurrection is, I'm challenging your script. Your script doesn't lead to resurrection, your script leads to death. 
So with that in mind, I'm going to ask you to do something very simple. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come and they would join me. And I'm going to invite you to something this morning that you will need to make a response to. You can't remain passive. When it comes to the resurrection, you cannot simply sit and not respond to what God is saying today. So with this in mind, I want you to know there's two particular things I want to highlight today. First off, and this is not a bait and switch in any way. If you are here today, and I'm not talking about church attendance, I'm not talking about a religious lifestyle, I'm talking about if you have never come to a place in your life where you know that the script that you've been living out has surrendered to the script that God has purposed for your life, that today can be that day. You see, one of the things that we don't realize is that even though it might be good intentions, when we write out our own script for our own life, what has a tendency to happen is a thing called failure. The Bible defines it in a word called sin. And sin comes sometimes when we do it intentionally because we're trying to do our own thing or unintentionally because of humanity. We fail. The beauty of the script that God has written is in that script, God sent Jesus, his son, to die for the broken script that we keep trying to live out. That in Jesus' death on the cross, he took every good intention that failed, every bad motive that led to a failure in our lives. He took all of it on himself and paid a price that would separate us from God forever, that would only lead to death. He paid the price so that now the script can change. The script can lead to life. And that life that's described in the scriptures is not only a quality of life that begins the moment you surrender your script, but it is a quantity of life that goes on forever. It doesn't mean that all your problems disappear. It doesn't mean that you live a perfect life. It means that your journey leads to life, and every day you experience more and more of that, even in the midst of death, silence, because at every time, Jesus leads us back to life. If I'm describing you right now, what I'm going to ask you to do in just a moment, we're going to, the worship team's going to lead us in a few more songs, and to my left, there will be prayer teams that are assembled up against the wall here in the gym. In fact, teams, if you're not there, you can position yourself right now. And just with your eyes closed, I want you to focus. If I've just described you, then I'm going to ask you to do something. If your desire is to surrender the script of your life and embrace the one that God has already written for you that will far surpass your own, then I'm going to ask you when we're singing that you would get up from your seat and you would make your way to the prayer team. Now listen, I've been, being, I've been a senior pastor for a long time. And although I can't read your mind, I know what many of you are going through right now. You're like, really? I have to get up? You mean, really? I have to risk the embarrassment that people might see me and they might think something about me? And you see, the, the, the problem with that thinking is that you would actually forfeit the gift of life because you're afraid of what someone might think of you. Jesus loves you so much. <laughs> the beautiful thing is he loves you and he accepts you. And I can guarantee you as the pastor of this church, so does this church family. So there is no shame. There is no embarrassment. There's just an acknowledgement. I want life. So I'm going to ask you if you would get up and you would go as we, when we worship second group of people. You know Jesus. 
you can go back to a marker in your time, in, in your life, and you can say, yeah, I prayed a prayer, or I was baptized, or I chose to follow Jesus on this particular date, but, but I know that every single day of my life, I'm living in tension, and I'm living in this conflict because I know I keep grasping for control of my life, and I continue to be frustrated every day. And sometimes my frustration is taken out on God because, in a sense, God won't get on my script. See, what you've been trying to do is you've been trying to write God into your script, and God doesn't work that way. He says, I've already written you into my script, and now it's time for you to embrace that. If that's you, then I'm going to encourage you as well. You can go to the prayer teams and say, hey, I can even tell them, I know Jesus, but you know what? Again, today I'm going to once again lay down the script of my life so that I can experience the life that Jesus purchased for me through his death and the power he demonstrated through the resurrection so I can be alive. I can be alive now and I can be alive forever. Lord Jesus, in these moments as we worship and celebrate your resurrection, your life, I pray that you would breathe life by your spirit as you did for your early followers into our hearts, that not one of us would stay passive, but we would lean into what you're doing. We would know you because ultimately what your desire is that you would draw us into relationship so that we might know you, we may know the Father, we might be reconciled back to you. So do that today in our lives as we celebrate your resurrection, your power, your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand together if we would.